Welcome back to the Home Bible Study Podcast. Uh, we are currently studying the book of Hebrews and we're currently in chapter three. So just want to do a little house cleaning from the last lesson. I sometimes listen to myself. Uh, I try not to, but I just so happen to listen to my last um, podcast and I noticed that I made a reference to the Great Day of Atonement and also uh, Passover being the same thing. That that was completely an error. I would like to correct that. They are very two different feasts. They have very different meanings and levels of significance. And so I want to clear that up. I do know that they are not the same. So now to uh, our current lesson here, um, our study, I should say. We are in Hebrews chapter 3. Last time we studied uh, verse 1 through 6. In those verses, uh, we saw Jesus being presented as superior to Moses. We talked a lot about how that Moses would have a very significant uh, position and role in the lives of the people at the time that this was written. And uh, it doesn't take a lot of uh, study to see that uh, as that he you know wrote the first five books of the Bible he delivered them from um, Pharaoh and um, all the different exploits of Moses are detailed in scripture and he's a pretty amazing individual to study about definitely a type of Christ in several ways and I think was the, the the primary type of Christ prior to the Lord Jesus coming. So Moses was very significant. And so it was important that the writer establish that Jesus uh, is superior to Moses. And we saw that last time. So Moses definitely was one of the greatest uh, heroes of the Hebrew people. So the writer is establishing Jesus as the one who supersedes Moses in heroic action, deliverance, and in preeminence. Um, Jesus is like Moses in that uh, he, as a man in his humanity, delivered uh, the pe- he delivered the people. He delivers. He's delivering a people unto the Father. Uh, He interceded on behalf of the people, just like Moses, uh, only to a greater level, and instructed the people. Moses was a gave the first five books of the Bible. That's a lot of instruction, and Jesus has definitely uh, superseded that in his role as our Savior, uh, as the Christ, Um, and he has done it in a way that Moses could not without sin. So um, Jesus, as it was established, came to us himself. Uh, This is the message of the book of Hebrews, Emmanuel or God among us. The the letter of of Hebrews is instructing us that Jesus is God and God has accomplished these things for us, uh, by himself, for a purpose. Now, starting in verse 7, that's where we're going to pick up. 
we'll get the Holy Spirit's application of the Old Testament to us in the church age. Remember, this book is about the ages or the dispensations of God and how he has progressively revealed himself, his plan and his purpose to mankind. And so we have to keep the message in the context of this progressive revelation. So now we're going to see, starting in verse 7, a direct revelation or elaboration on the role of God the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. So we're going to transition from Jesus's uh, supremacy over, you know, Moses and the angels. And now we're going to look specifically at the role of God, the Holy Spirit in Christ. So you can't separate the Holy Spirit from Christ because the Holy Spirit is God, just as Jesus is God. But there's, you know, three members of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They all have a very particular role and purpose in the salvation of mankind. And now we're going to focus on one of those members of the Godhead um, that we have access through Christ, through Jesus's ministry, and that's God, the Holy Spirit. So um, let's take a look at that, um, starting in uh, verse 7 of chapter 3 of the book of Hebrews. It says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if you hear his voice, uh, harden not your hearts as in the day of provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, uh, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works for years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For uh, we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said uh, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke. Howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved for 40 years is a question. Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness, and to whom swear he that they should not enter in his rest, but to them that believed not? So it's a lot of um, being said here, and there's a a lot of things to kind of unwrap uh, and we'll just kind of approach it <clears throat> verse by verse and line by line and try to get the uh, gist of what's being said here so in verse 7 it says wherefore so wherefore is a direct connection to what has been said previously so it's already been established that Jesus is greater than Moses in that fact that Jesus um, is the one that created Moses. And an analogy was used um, in the previous verses of a building a house because Moses was given the responsibility 
to build the people up and to lead them and direct them in the ways uh, that God had instructed him. So in that sense, he was sort of a builder. And the point was made that Jesus is the one that made Moses. So to clearly establish his superiority. So based on that, based on the fact of all, the, not just uh, that part, uh, but also the entire letter to this point, based on all the things that we've been told about um, the Lord Jesus, that the main exhortation is to consider him that we need to consider these things about him, what he's done, what he's accomplished on our behalf. And based on that, we get this warning. We're, we're given this uh, kind of exhortation based on the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. So it says, wherefore, and it's kind of in uh, parentheses, um, as the Holy Ghost saith, today if you will hear his voice so it says today if you will hear his voice i think it's important to understand what that means in the sense of today now i've already said that this is a progressive uh revelation of god we started off with the ages and you know the things that happened in time past that bring us up till today, that shows a progressive revelation, uh, starting from uh, the very beginning, uh, focusing now on Moses and the things that he revealed. And now we're kind of linking Moses's ministry to the people, to what Jesus has accomplished, not only for the Hebrews, but for all those who are believers. So now we're in today. When the letter was written to them, that was today. We are also in today, and a lot of us like to call today the church age. That's the part of the progressive revelation that we're in, um, the dispensation. So, so it's really important that we understand that um, the Lord is very much aware of the things that we are facing today. The Lord knows about the problems, the challenges, the fears, the concerns of the people who live in the time that we live in, just like he knew about the concerns of the people that lived in the day when this letter was written. Um, we, Though the circumstances may change, the basic truths do not. God is faithful and consistent to care for his people in any age and we can trust him to do so so verse one of chapter three specified the audience that was being spoken to here uh, we have to keep that in mind the holy brethren partakers of the heavenly calling that's what we looked at last time that there are people who are being gathered together for this uh to be partakers in uh, the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus. He's made us who are the called ones to be partakers into his uh, glory and the, into the future glory that he has set for us, but also for a present partaking. We are not 
you know, called and it's like, okay, just live your life until you get to the um, eternal state. That we have a work or a purpose that we need to accomplish during this time right now. And we are partaking in Christ every day. We partake in him. Well, how do you do that? How do we partake in Christ? He's seated in heaven in the glories, in, in glory and exalted. And we're here on earth um, far from that glory. So how do we partake in Christ? Well, we do that through the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit is given to every believer and dwells every believer and gives them the access to the Lord Jesus so that we can partake of the spiritual things that are associated with the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's how we partake in this heavenly calling is through the ministry, the active and present ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. So now we get this kind of conditional statement that um, for this particular group. So the particular group are those who are partic participating in the heavenly calling. But now we see that there is some conditions to this to partake into this heavenly calling. Um, it says, if ye will hear. So it says, um, uh, wherefore also the Holy Ghost saith today, if ye will hear his voice. So by saying, if you'll hear it, that um, tells us that there's a possibility that we will not hear it. So how does that happen? Um, if God, the Holy Spirit is indwelling us and we had that ministry, why would we not hear uh, the voice of God speaking to us? Well, that's what this warning is about. And so let's continue and see the, the uh, explanation here. So as believers, we have a responsibility that goes with the privilege of knowing and hearing the creator uh, the Redeemer, and the one that's building uh, this great house. So we have a responsibility. There's a uh, definitely a circumstance where we could not, we could be in a position of not hearing his voice. Um, it says that Jesus is a living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God, precious. It says, ye, speaking of the church, these people who are partakers in Christ, Ye also, as living stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. That's 1 Peter 2, 5, and 6. So, continuing on with the analogy of a house being built, we see that we are also uh, living stones. We are part of a building, that God, something that God is putting together and he's building and we have a active responsibility and participation in the furtherance of Jesus Christ and his glorification while we're here on earth. So we're not just waiting around to the sweet by and by and you know, everything's waiting for us and it's good and golden there. We have a responsibility to live a certain way and according to certain, um, uh, rules that uh, the Lord Jesus has laid out for us very clearly. We're a priesthood and we have 
believer pre-sacrifices that we are to um, manifest and to actively be participating in. Um, there's the fruit of the Spirit that when we walk in the Spirit, there's certain fruit that are, we're going to bear in our lives that other people will witness, they'll benefit from it, and it glorifies the Lord Jesus. And we can only do that now while we're in this time that's called today. So it's really important that we uh, are actively pursuing those things. So that's where this warning comes from. Okay. So now in verse eight, we're going to get the warning. It says, harden not your hearts. So that word for heart is very important. There's a lot of uh, times that heart is mentioned in scripture from uh, Genesis to Revelation. So the heart is something that's very important to God because if it wasn't so important, he wouldn't speak about it so often. But every instance has its unique meaning and application based on what God is trying to convey. Uh, this particular word speaks of the holy place of meeting between God and man. You know, this is the heart that's being spoken of in this case. Uh, this heart is the life and soul of mankind. It figuratively describes a place where we can be cold and unfeeling or warm and sensitive. Uh, the word speaks of like a vault, right? So the Greek word talks, speaks of like a vault where you can keep the most precious things in or out. So it's very important for us to understand what this means when he says, harden not your hearts, because we're given this ability once that you're saved. Unsaved people don't have the option to harden out their hearts, but we're talking about the the called out ones, the ones that have been called out and placed into the uh, family of God. Now they have God, the Holy Spirit's ministry. And now there's a, this vault that is allows for us to, um, to meet with God in this place uh, deep within us. And it says, Harden not your hearts as in the day of provocation in the wilderness. So now we were talking about Moses before. So why not continue with that same analogy and continue building on this, uh, the legend of Moses, right? So if you read in um, Exodus and um, uh, all the five books that are written by Moses, you'll see the story of Moses and the people as he led them uh, out of Egypt into the land of promise. And so here we see uh, the writer building upon that because, you know, we're talking about he Hebrew people and this would be something that they knew um, very, very well. It was a part of their culture. It was ingrained into them. So he's going to use this example to build on this point. So during the wilderness trek, after deliverance from Egypt, the people as a whole were a picture of the rebelliousness that is in the sin nature of man. Even though believers have been delivered, we still have this old nature in us. And Paul builds and elaborates on that in the book of Romans, in the letter of Romans. 
where he says, uh, he talks about the old nature and its influence. So we still have this old nature in us, but now because of God, the Holy Spirit, we have a new nature. And so now there's this internal struggle, right? And this is what's being warned uh, against here, the effects of this internal struggle. So we're susceptible to the hardening of our hearts or hardening our hearts towards the word of God and his instruction. So that's what he's telling us not to do. He's like, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts like they did in the wilderness. Um, we can provoke God by rebellion and willfully closing our vault, you might say, to the penetrating love of Jesus Christ. That's what God the Holy Spirit ministers to us. It, he ministers to us God's love, his power, his uh, wisdom, knowledge, all the things that we need. Um, God, the Holy Spirit, is our umbilical cord connection to the Godhead and allows for us in our current weak and sinful state to be able to access the divine. And so that is a a wonderful, miraculous type thing that only believers experience. It's not something that you could communicate to an unsaved person because, you know, they don't know anything about it. It's like completely foreign and they have no precedence. So um, the way that it's ministered to them is the outworking of the God and the Holy Spirit in our life in the way that we live our lives and the the decisions that we make from our heart, uh, those are the things, that guidance that we have, and those choices are what ministers to the unsaved because uh, they can see the fruit of the Spirit. That's something that's visible. Even though they don't feel it, they can definitely see that fruit. So that's why it's important for us not to harden our heart and provoke God because we need that penetrating love of Christ in this vault of ours. So, it's possible for us to do what's called grieving the Holy Spirit that that leaves, leaves us open to error and to going in a direction that is unhealthy and spiritually unsafe. So when did this uh, type of behavior occur in Moses' day? That's the question you may be asking. So in verse 9, uh, the writer answers that. He says, when our fathers, um, let me read that directly. It says, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works for 40 years. So if you notice in verse 9, it says, um, when your fathers, speaking to the Hebrew people, because remember he mentioned the fathers in the verse one, in chapter 1, verse 1. He says, when your fathers tempted me, now, notice that he's saying, tempted me, proved me, and saw my works for 40 years. Well, we're talking about God, the Holy Spirit, right? So that's, the, that's who's speaking now. He's like, they, 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 all those wonderful things that were done in the sight of the uh, Hebrew people, when Moses was leading them out of the uh, bondage into the land, all those miraculous things that they saw, the uh, pillar of fire by night, the pillar of a cloud by day to lead them, the food that was provided, the water that was provided, 
those things were done by God the Holy Spirit. Those were that was God the Holy Spirit's work that they could actually see made manifest in front of them. So that's why we're focused here on God the Holy Spirit. He says they provoked me. So um, in verse ten, uh, he goes on to say, "Wherefore, because they provoked me, I was grieved with that generation, and said they do always err in their hearts." and they have not known my ways. So this is again, God, the Holy Spirit speaking. And he says that they grieved him, you know, because of their rebellion, because they never came to a point as a people. Now, some of them did, but majority of them, if you read the account, there's a lot of murmuring and a lot of, hey, you know, it would have been better to stay in bondage. I mean, it would have been better for us to not be brought out into the middle of the wilderness just to die. Those are words of unbelief. And it they come from the heart of man. If anybody tells you that if you're ministering to them and they say, I just can't believe that, you know, all those things happen. I can't believe in the Adam and Eve story. I can't believe about Jonah and the big fish. And it just all seems so far fetched. I just cannot believe that God actually came to earth and that was Jesus Christ. I just can't believe that. Well, their issue is not in their head. It's not a head unbelief. The issue is in their heart because you can't believe things solely on. It's not a head knowledge. It's a heart knowledge. That's that's how when people are saved, they come to know the Lord Jesus through God, the Holy Spirit and dwelling them and ministering to their heart and making it confirming all these things to be true. So that was the issue with the people in the uh, wilderness. They had a heart problem. They just could not uh, believe that uh, all the things that God was telling them through Moses. And that's where their issues came from. And that's why God, the Holy Spirit is saying here, and they have not known my ways. So to know God, to know the Lord Jesus, to know God, the Holy Spirit and the Father, um, that is an intimate knowledge, a knowledge that comes from a level of intimacy that can only be gained through the indwelling ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. And those who grieved him in the wilderness, they did not know his ways. They did not know him the way that they should have. And that uh, the way that Moses presented him and gave them the opportunity to know him. And in verse 10, he's just stating that. In verse 11, so I swear in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. So this is a key verse here to understand that um, in grieving the Holy Spirit, we injure ourselves. So here it says, so I, God, the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, I swear in I swear in my wrath. What is this wrath? Wrath is a word that's used quite a bit in scripture. And so you can't just assume that it means the same thing every time. 
the Greek language is an amazing language in that it's very specific in what it's saying. And so unlike English, where we have one word that can mean a couple of different things, they have very specific words for, for to mean very specific things. So the word wrath here speaks of a sorrow or displeasure. It's not the kind of wrath that um, in other places, like in the book of Revelation, where it talks about the uh, bowls of wrath being poured out. It speaks more of a judgment, um, not not like a displeasure, but like um, unmixed anger. You know, this wrath has to do with more of uh, coming from a place of love. When you're a kid, if any, if you have children, or if you've had children, you know this. They they do stuff that's stupid, and they don't know that it's stupid. They just do it right when they're little, and you can tell them not to do it and then they'll go do it again and then something worse happens and it causes you to be sorrow and displeasure towards them you don't stop loving them it's just that you're it does invoke you to be angry and you know you're sorry that they didn't listen and you're disappointed and that's that's kind of the sense here that God the Holy Spirit um, acted out of this because um, that's the nature of God. God is righteous and cannot tolerate um, this type of error in heart and will not allow us to continue in that error. That's the whole motivation for the Lord Jesus coming to deliver people in the first place because he didn't want us to continue in error. Um, Adam and Eve uh, were kept from eating the fruit uh, that would uh, give them uh, eternal life because God did not want them to continue eternally in this error of sin. You know, he had to come down here and address that and uh, deal with the sin on our behalf. And deliver us from it. So we see these people in the wilderness. They're kind of a picture of mankind as a whole. And our tendency towards erring in the heart. Because that's that's who we are. That's the old nature that we contend with. Those of us who are believers. Those of us who are um, partakers in the heavenly calling. We still have this challenge. This problem of sin. And it causes us to err in our heart. So we have to be warned. And the writer here is warning us against that. Because uh, the world certainly is not going to warn us against it. The world is going to encourage us to err. And so we need another voice. That's the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit in us. You know, to be that voice. But, you know, we have to listen. We have a responsibility not to harden our hearts and to listen to that voice. So it says that he swore in his wrath that they shall not enter his rest. So it's really important now as we enter this uh, doctrine of the rest uh, of God. Because it's 
It's a beautiful doctrine. It has wonderful application, but we have to be careful in understanding it. Uh, and this is the beginning. So I'm going to try my best to um, explain it. So this rest that he speaks of is, in, it has a very broad application. It's not only, it starts in the garden uh, before mankind was ever created. And it goes all the way to the book of the Revelation. You know, this rest is spoken of. And we have to understand that we're in today. So while we're in today, at this point of our existence in relationship to God's purpose and plan, we have to understand what this rest means. And the specific application to, to the, what's being uh, written here is the rest that comes from God the Holy Spirit indwelling in us and us being at peace with God. Okay, that's one of the fruit of the Spirit that is part of what God the Holy Spirit gives us is this rest, this peace of knowing that we are in fellowship and we are walking in the way that the Lord Jesus would have us to be walking in. That daily progression of life that leads us towards a growth and a maturation uh, that pleases God. That's our objective. So this rest that's being speaking of here is a rest that is the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. This is the rest of the heart that will trust the faithfulness of God to care and provide for your every need on a daily basis, moment by moment. Uh, this rest is the one that says, I can be abased or I can abound, but either way, I'm going to trust in the Lord Jesus. Um, and this would have been very important to the Hebrew believers because they were going through a very, very difficult time. They had been separated from their people. Uh, they've been ostracized from the culture and labeled heretics and uh, people who had betrayed uh, their very culture and betray God all because they knew the truth and were actually serving the true and living God. So it was very difficult for them and they needed to be exhorted and to be warned to hold fast to their uh, faith and to what they knew to be true. And this peace is what counters the chaos of the world around us when everybody else is doing something different and telling us that we're wrong this peace is what comforts us and makes us to know that we're doing what's right so this is the rest that those people um that grieved uh, the holy spirit back in the day the ones that were wandering through the wilderness they never entered into that. That's why they continued to err in their heart because they didn't know anything about that. They never came to that point of just trusting God. But we have that, right? We have this rest given to us and it's a gift uh, by the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. 
So in verse 12, he says, take heed, like, listen, you know, be warned, brethren. So here he says, brethren. So he's talking to believers. He's not talking to people who uh, don't have God, the Holy Spirit ministering to them. He says, take heed, brethren, lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So here we see the real danger. The danger is that we have this sin nature in us and it is deceitful. It is beguiling and it can uh, cause us to harden our heart to the love and ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. We can do that through sin. We can grieve the Holy Spirit and this is the war that's going on inside of the believer, right? And it's important that we cling to the rest uh, and the peace that is afforded us through uh, obedience and trust in God. So this uh, deceitfulness of sin, I like to describe this way. Sin is familiar, right? So that gives it access to our heart and mind because... You know, we spent a lot of years in sin with the sin nature, far more years than we spent with uh, God, the Holy Spirit. I'm coming up on kind of a 50-50 where I'm getting close to where I've been um, indwelled by God, the Holy Spirit, almost as long as I went um, apart. Uh, I think I've just barely gone beyond that point. So, um, but most people that is not the case so we need to understand the familiarness of sin and understand that that's a danger just like that serpent was to eve she wasn't surprised or shocked by the serpent or afraid of it she was okay with it because she was very familiar with the serpent as she was with all the animals that were in the garden so we have to be very careful because that familiarity with sin can lead us into trouble and then sin is also deceitful um, in the sense that uh, it's uh, in opposition to God and its reasoning. So when we start rationalizing about sin, it's always in opposition to God. It never goes along with the word of God. So that's the problem with sin is that it deceives us into thinking or rationalizing in a way that's apart from the word of God and sin is also deadly to the heart because uh, just like the devil still has access to heaven right now, sin has access to our heart. Um, and we have to be careful knowing that sin can come into that private place, that vault, and it can affect our heart in a way to harden it towards allowing the love of God to flow and to flow through us and in us so sin is deceitful um and it's evil and, and it results in unbelieving sin always promises you something but it never really delivers that's another aspect of sin and sin will exchange will in exchange for the rest or the peace of god that we get from god the holy spirit it will give you something in return for that and we see in this verse that it's the hardness of heart that sets you on a path of rebellion and unbelief. That is the only thing that you will get. You will exchange the peace of God for 
uh, a hardness of heart, rebellion, and unbelief. So it doesn't make sense to do that. You know, the peace of God is far too precious and valuable um, to us for us to make that exchange. If you're hearing this right now, you're probably enjoying that peace. You're enjoying that ministry of God, the Holy Spirit in you, through you and all over you, leading you and guiding you, telling you things and showing you things from the word. It's a wonderful feeling. Don't exchange that for sin and the hardness of heart that comes from it. So next, we're going to see the only defense against this. So we're told, we're warned about it, but we also need to be empowered to know, well, how do we defend against it? You know, it's one thing to tell us not to do something, but, you know, if we find ourselves constantly falling into that trap, well, how are we delivered from this, uh, this uh, failure that can come from the deceitfulness of sin? Well, God is faithful to give us uh, along with the temptation, also the way out. So remember that. Um, in verse 13, it says, But in contrast to um, falling for the deceitfulness of sin, he says, But exhort one another daily. So this is uh, really important and a blessing to me because um, it just shows the consistency of the word of God. We're, we're, I mean, all the word speaks and says the same thing over and over in different ways. And here we're told to exhort one another daily. So there's a important role that believers have in relationship to one another. Obviously, we have a, um, a an important role in relationship to the Lord Jesus, but also we have one to one another that we should be using the gifts that he's given us to serve one another, to build each other up and to help one another to accomplish the overarching purpose of God in our lives. Now, I don't know what God has for you or why he delivered you or saved you, what purpose he saved you for. He knows that. And that's, I'm, I'm content with that. And I know that whatever it is, it's going to glorify him and it's going to be wonderful. Um, my concern is that I encourage you to fulfill that, you know, fulfill that purpose that he's taken hold of you for. Uh, he says that he's faithful to bring us to himself complete in him. There's a A to B uh, process. A is when he saves you. B is when he presents you holy and blameless in love. In between there, there's work to be done. And I exhort you and I encourage you to do it. Whatever it is that the Lord has for you, put your heart and mind towards doing that with passion, um, with zeal, uh, and in a faithful way. Because in doing that, you will be glorifying him. You will find that you will come to know him in a way that you could not know him otherwise. And here we see how we need to exhort one another to doing that. I need you to encourage me. You need me to encourage you. Because the world around us is doing just the opposite. 
it's encouraging us to sin. It's provoking us to uh, to lead us away from Jesus. And we have to encourage one another to stand. Having done all, stand. You know, put on the full armor of God and stand. And we have to stand together. We have to uh, encourage each other. And we need to do this on a consistent basis. It says, but exhort one another daily. That's our defense against a hard heart um, or the deceitfulness of sin. You know, we have to encourage and support one another in love. Uh, exhort each other in the word of God. And we have to exhort one another to trust and believe God. While it is called today. Very important not to miss that uh, statement there. It says, while it is called today. So um, I think the, the importance of um, today is that this is progressive. That we, it, it tells us that we have only a certain amount of time to be able to minister to one another and to serve the Lord Jesus in this way while it is called today, because there's going to come a time when today is gone, right? So there's a sense of urgency to redeem the time, to make wise use of each day that you're given to serve the Lord Jesus and to glorify him. The only way I can really communicate it is there seems to be a special glorification of the Lord Jesus that can only happen today. And we need to capitalize on that. And there's going to come a time when all of our works are going to follow us into heaven. And we want those works to be stockpiled on the side of glorifying God. That's that's kind of the way I would put it in a like a little short version. So um, we are within the confines right now of time. We have the advantage that each day we can serve the Lord Jesus on the battlefield of love and priestly service. We have the disadvantage also of being on a battlefield. This is a war zone that we're in. And there are fiery arrows of sin that are flying at us all the time. And they're trying to pierce us and definitely pierce our hearts so that we will um, will fall. I mean, that's what the enemy wants. He wants us to be out of service. He wants us to not glorify God in our lives. So we have to wear the whole armor of God, take a stand and be sure to encourage one another. We need each other. And it's very important that uh, we um, lean on a staff of fellowship whenever the Lord is giving that opportunity to us. And uh, you want to be have your eyes on the Lord when you're with other believers. And because you never know when they may need you. So. Uh, always be at the ready to give a word of encouragement, to um, to listen, to hear them out, and to be there to encourage one another in the faith. And it says um, that there's a 
it's, it's, it says, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So the fact that it says, lest any of you, means that we're all at risk. There's no super duper saints that can say, you know, well, that's maybe that may be for you guys, but I have reached a plateau, a level um, in my Christian walk that, you know, I have to worry about such things. Uh, that's not true. Uh, it says, lest any of you. So we're all susceptible to this. And we all need this encouragement from one another. In verse 14, it says, For we are made partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. So that could be kind of scary for some people when they see that, that, uh, there's that condition. It's like, well, we're made partakers of Christ if we hold... Um, the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. It almost seems like there's an, uh, a chance for us to lose this salvation and no longer be partakers of Christ. But remember, the context here is the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, and quenching the Holy Spirit. And that's how we partake in the fullness of Christ through God, the Holy Spirit. If we quench the Holy Spirit, we are still belong to Christ. We're still a part of that heavenly calling, we just no longer are partaking in the fullness of the blessing that is Jesus Christ for us in this life. So we have to remember that we always have God, the Holy Spirit. He is an earnest, a deposit, a surety that we belong to Christ eternally. But there's a ministry there that we could lose the uh, blessing of this peace, this rest that comes from the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit says, you know, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. So the beginning of our confidence, well, that's when we're first indwelled with God, the Holy Spirit. We have a confidence, a confident knowledge that we belong to Christ, that we are his. And we need to hold fast to that steadfastly, meaning there's a progressive holding fast to that. Now, most people, it's an up and down type thing. Well, at one point, oh, I got, I'm confident. Another point, oh, I'm not confident. Well, sin wants to take away your confidence. So that's the, that's the uh, deceitfulness of sin at work is that it wants to rob you of the joy and the blessing of this connection, this intimacy with God. And so it breaks that steadfastness. But we need to hold fast to it until the end, meaning we need to have a more consistent walk where we are leaning on one another and God, the Holy Spirit, to carry and develop us throughout our Christian walk until the end, until the time where we can no longer serve in the way that we do now. So this is not a risk of losing our salvation, but instead it's a risk of losing the steadfast and abiding rest that is afforded us by the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit in us. That's the warning here. That's the real risk. Verse 14, while it is said today, if we will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the day of provocation. So here we see the recapitulation of the warning that it's very important for us to to uh, hear what's being said. Uh, verse 16, for some, when they had heard, did provoke, how be it not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. So 
here it is. Some of those people in that group were uh, never ever received the the blessing of this knowledge, and they came to this peace. And so, what would happen every time their circumstances changed? They would lash out at Moses and say, hey, you know, what's going on? It would have been better for us to stay where we are. You know what? I miss the the food that was in Egypt. And, you know, we don't have any food here. All we have is this manna. And I miss all the good different kinds of foods that were in Egypt. You know, it's funny how that sin deceived them into thinking that they had it so good in Egypt. But when they were in Egypt, they cried out to God that this is misery these people have their foot on our necks and they are, you know, applying pressure and this is horrible and we want out of here. But when God delivered them and was taking them through the wilderness, now they're thinking fondly about their past. That's the deceitfulness of sin. That's what it does. That's what it makes us to forget all the negative things associated with it. And we just see this one thing that seems so great and we're always missing out or losing um, when we look back and look back in a way that um, is full of, you know, sinful deceit. So he says, for some, when they had heard, did provoke. So not all of them. God always has a remnant of people. And these are the ones that we rely on today. Those ones that God holds up has them to minister in such a way to keep us uh, on track. They can come to us and just with a word of encouragement, uh, they share things with us that make us to know that God is very much, um, very active in their lives and also very concerned with us because of what it is they're saying. And a lot of times they don't even realize the significance of their ministry to us, but God is able to use um, these people that way. And that's how he used Moses with these people. He would, uh, Moses would kind of be go between them and the, the wrath of God. And he would, you know, plead on their behalf. And that's the ministry of the Lord Jesus right now. And God is able to use people like you and me to do the same thing. And that's the blessing of being in today and having this opportunity while it's called today that we can minister that way in verse 17 he asked a question but with whom was he grieved for 40 years if it wasn't everybody who was it that was he was grieved with if it wasn't all of them who was he grieved with he says was it not with them that had sinned whose carcasses fell in the wilderness so here we see the result of sin. Sin is the conduit to judgment and death. And that's what happened to these people. Uh, God did not allow them to continue to uh, influence uh, his people negatively. So he dealt with, in his righteousness, he dealt with the sin. In verse 18, and to whom swear he that they should not enter his rest? So who is it that, did he say none of them will enter his rest? He says, no, but it was to them that did not believe. So it's really important to understand that unbelief separates us not only from God and his ministry, but it separates us from other believers. It separates us from 
service and the ability to glorify God. And it's all because of unbelief. We cannot enjoy the rest and peace of God apart from believing and trusting him. Unbelief and sin separate us from blessing. We have to remember that when sin is popping up and it looks so uh, enticing, we have to remember, wait, what are we sacrificing for this? Uh, we have to learn that lesson that it's better to stay close to God and enjoy him than to be led away by unbelief. Verse 19, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. So the bottom line here is that unbelief will deny us the blessing and access to God. It's very important to see that. Now, the message here is simple. Sin is a manifestation of unbelief. To walk in sin is to walk in unbelief. If you continue in sin as a believer, God will deal with you in his displeasure. It's that simple. He won't allow you to continue to harden your heart against his word. He will deal with that. The worst part of this is the lack of peace that you'll have about the situation. We cannot sin and, and be in peace with God. Those two things do not go along with each other. And you can continue in this um, sin and it's going to over time harden your heart to his voice. He's going to constantly tell you, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. He's going to reason with you in love. And the problem is sin will cause you to shut out that ministry and to harden your heart, your vault. You'll close your vault to that ministry of love and protection. And you'll start seeing God as an enemy and not the Lord Jesus as the one who loves you. And this is how your heart gets hardened. So you can't enjoy the peace of God in rebellion. It's just that simple. So we're to exhort one another to live a life that's pleasing to God. Don't allow sin to keep you from the loving fellowship and the rest of God. The rest of God is beautiful. It is uh, full of love. It is full of strength. Um, it's empowering it can change your perspective of your life completely. Um, it's important that we enjoy that. Sin will rob you of that. Confess your sin and God is faithful to deliver you from its deceit. Um, the Holy Spirit will give you eyes. They will be the eyes of your heart, it says in um, Ephesians. And the Holy Spirit will give you sight to be able to see things the way you should see them and make you see sin for what it is uh, that is valueless it's temporary and you will never really enjoy any pleasure uh, in sin that's what God the Holy Spirit does for us makes us to see the deceitfulness of sin and see through it that's why we have to keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus that's what that means is to uh, stay close to him to enjoy that meeting place in your heart that he has established, that, that he is building up, that he's building you up with to enjoy uh, in, full, in its full fruition, you're going to enjoy in heaven and in eternity. 
So this is just the beginning of the doctrine of rest, uh, the doctrine of the rest of God. We're, we're just kind of uh, starting here. Um, the heavenly calling is a calling to the rest of God. That's what we're talking about. The heavenly calling of God and his purpose in what Jesus accomplished for us. And this is just the beginning. Jesus said, come to me and I will give you rest. This is what he's speaking of. The rest, the peace, the rest that he enjoys now as he sits on the throne. Uh, nobody can make God flinch, right? That's true rest. When you are completely uh, contented uh, to where no one can threaten you or cause you to flinch, that's the kind of rest that the Lord Jesus offers us. Uh, next time, we're going to learn a little bit more about that rest and see that it has levels and that it's revealed to us in the way that he's revealed over time and in a progressive fashion. So I look forward to studying that with you. In the meantime, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this um, grace and uh, mercy that you've extended to us in the Lord Jesus and that you didn't send anyone else um, that uh, the Lord came himself and accomplished these things for us and has preserved his truth throughout time in spite of the world, in spite of everything that goes against your truth. You have established your truth so that those of us who live in today can enjoy you and enjoy the knowledge of your word Father, we pray you would protect us against this, uh, the deceitfulness of sin and the unbelief and hardness of heart that comes from it. Uh, it's a terrible thing to be separated from you for any time. And uh, Father, we pray that you would strengthen us, that we would walk with you and walk in such a way that we can enjoy the all the fruit of the Spirit and that others would... Um, see our lives and know that you have established yourself in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.